Hi, this is David Yaz at the Boston Podcast Network, hoping you are staying safe and healthy during this period of precaution over the coronavirus. It's difficult to connect with your clients and contacts in a period such as this, but here we continue to produce podcasts that allow you to connect with the people that you want to reach. You've got a rapt audience like never before. People are home, they're listening, and they're waiting to hear from you. We can create a professional podcast with a quick turnaround and do the whole thing remotely so you don't have to leave your home. Get in touch with us at pod617.com. of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Welcome to the Ask Harry Podcast. This is Harry Margolis, and this is the podcast where we interview experts on all aspects of estate planning. In this episode of Ask Harry, Harry talks with Chad Gutner of Samuel Financial on the subject of retirement planning. Hey, Chad, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So you are you run our 401k plan for our firm, and uh, you're our 401k expert, and I understand you recently got an honor as a 401k expert? Uh, yeah, I was um, uh, nominated and um, received an award for a top uh, 401k advisor in the Financial Times, which is a, a publication that is spread throughout the world. Um, I don't know how many were nominated or elected to that <laughs> that award, but uh, we'll take what we can get over here. Good. Well, since you got that, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. So Perfect. So I thought we'd first talk about uh, basically getting money in to your 401k or other kind of retirement plan and uh, how important that is and how uh, what are the ways to do that and how you can maximize that. Yep. And uh, so why don't we assume that your company has a 401k or 403b plan and uh, what what should people employees think about? The first thing that anybody should think about is contributing, right? <clears throat> the the these plans only work if you put your own money into the accounts. Um, most plans are designed to have a company contribution in the form of a match that would go on top of your contributions, but are there only if you put your own money into the account. So number one, got to contribute. I say it all the time. Um, and at least get your match because if your company is going to put in three, four percent, that's if you put in three or four percent, then you're not going to get that. That's money on the table. You're, right. You're not. You're not. You're not going to get if you don't, right. if you don't participate. Right. So um, the best return you're going to get on your investment is the company's contribution. Right. So if you're if the match is a hundred percent up to three percent, well, you should be putting in at least three percent because you're going to have a hundred percent return on your money. Um, so that's a no-brainer. Um, I think too often people f- focus on their investment accounts and don't pay attention to the the bigger parts of their their whether their portfolio is successful or not, and they have a big balance when they get to retirement. So putting your own money in is a is a, a big focal point. Um, and the other thing that people should be doing is paying attention to the end game, which is, you know, what's it going to take for me to retire in a in a dignified way with a, a retirement income stream that I can rely on that will support my expenses. Um, and that requires a little bit of math. Uh, mm-hmm. Many of the 401k vendors that, that sponsor retirement accounts or offer them through their the web portals, Fidelity, mm-hmm. Empower, whoever, they offer calculators to help uh, predict what you'll need for a future stream of income and what you need to get your account balance to uh, by retirement to, mm-hmm. to live that lifestyle you want to live. So, is, is there a rule of thumb, say, that if you're going to work 40 years and you want your income to be, what, 80% of your your working income, how much you need to put in every year? Uh, yes, yes, there is. There are a couple of rules of thumb. So number one, 
um, you'll hear uh, most major financial institutions recommending that you um, try to replace about 75% of your current income. So number one, that's going to come from, um, at, at the moment, of course, Social Security being one part of that. Yeah. Um, another potential part would be part-time income. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third part will be whatever you've saved and can draw on in retirement to complete the retirement income picture. Right? Well, of course, you can't count on part-time income when you're planning decades ahead. That's true. Right. Yeah. right. So it, there's health concerns there. There's a whole bunch of factors mm-hmm. that are unpredictable. And I think that applies to any anything, Social mm-hmm. Security as well, right? Um, but the the most financial institutions and will say, hey, aim for a 75% replacement of your current income. So if you're making $100,000, aim for a $75,000 a year income mm-hmm. and piece it together with those three parts, right? Or two right. or the three. Um, I always say, well, I don't know if that's going to be enough. There's mm-hmm. healthcare concerns; those costs are rising, longevity is increasing um, as healthcare improves uh, across the board. So, if you're aiming for 100% of your your current income, that's a better mm-hmm. uh, mark to achieve. Okay. Um, in terms of other, you know, benchmarks that are appropriate to talk about, I think um, it, it, it's sort of backwards math, but just determining what. Uh, your accounts can do for you. So in the component of the bucket of money that you're saving on your own for retirement, um, generally speaking, you can withdraw somewhere between three and a half and maybe 4% on average from that account without running the risk of that account depleting over retirement. So Mm -hmm. you you won't run out of money in in, in that arrangement. Yeah. If you stay closer to the three and a half percent number, I think that's more appropriate because it hedges a a low growth environment in the future. This is so say when you have retired um, to keep that account there, you shouldn't, shouldn't take more than that than three and a half to 4% per year. So, so of, of course that's assuming you want to leave some money to your kids, right? Correct. Cause if you're happy to spend it down, you could take more out. No question. If you, if the math on that is simple. If you had a million dollar, you know, retirement account, for example, that would produce somewhere between 35 and $40,000 per year. If the goal is to, uh, primarily keep that balance intact throughout mm-hmm. retirement. Of course, as you get on in years, you may have uh, needs to spend more on healthcare and other concerns. So without predicting the future beyond the immediate, yeah. um, start with a number that's reasonable mm-hmm. and work into spending patterns later on as you get closer to um, end of life stages, right? And can lay out more uh, specifically inheritance goals and other things that might be a concern for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so but uh, before we get into taking the money yeah, out there, sure. so we're putting the money in, um, but that, but I guess it's related because how much do you put in? So, so um, most people should be saving at least fifteen percent of their income on average. So, wow. so, so it's it's a big number. Yeah. Um, the average participation rate or deferral rate into a four hundred one k plan at a company um, in 2019 is um, somewhere around six percent. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't count the company's contribution to that account on top of that. So right. they be maybe doing a match or whatever it may be. Um, but that needs to be doubled, right? To get right. it to a more reasonable number, people mm-hmm. need to save at least 15%. And I'm not a stickler for whether it happens inside the 401k account or whether it happens in a trust account or a joint account with your spouse outside of the context mm-hmm. of retirement planning. Um, but uh, 15% is sort of the target number. And it may be higher than that. If you got a late start on, on savings, well, you may need to be doing right. 20%. Because if you hadn't been doing 15% from right. the start. Correct. Got to catch up. That's right. So that that's that's a tough number. So if uh, it's uh, if you're making a hundred thousand, that's fifteen thousand, and that's uh, before taxes. 
That's correct. Right? Yeah. And well, one of the advantages, as you know, that you have when you have a 401k account or a 403b account, or even a tax deductible IRA account is that you put that money in on a pre, you can put that money in on a pre-tax basis. So mm-hmm. what, if you put in 15%, that may feel like you're, um, you know, using 20% of your income when you subtract out the tax liability that it doesn't exist on the contribution side of things when you put money into a, a pre-tax account like that. So, so, so it's not 15% of your take home, I guess. Yeah. Right. Because because yeah. of, of the tax issue, correct. And then if your company's putting in three percent, then you're down to twelve. Correct. So you're getting a little, a little uh, more approachable, but still hard. Exactly. Um, and the beauty of company-sponsored retirement accounts is they're all a little bit different. I mean, that can be good if your plan is excellent, and yeah. that can be bad if your plan is not. You know, uh, receiving a match from the employer. So mm-hmm. um, you got to factor in both the employer's contributions, your own contributions to the account things you're doing outside of the retirement plan in general, um, in terms of uh, aligning with that 15% number as a target. And there's no magic to it. I I think um, Fidelity does a great job at putting on a study, for example, every year that that says, look, it is about a 15% number if you've gotten a head start and you're doing it early and you continue it through through retirement years. Um, uh, But if you've you know, uh, under contributed, you might have to do more. If you've over contributed in the early stages, you might, you could probably get away with less. So there's, but it's a ballpark number. Probably, that, probably very few people in that. There's no one in that case, right? <laughs> right. Me included. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so most people are catching up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so once it's in the 401k plan or other retirement plan, um, it's not exactly stuck there, but there's some real disincentives to taking anything out, which Correct. is good for retirement planning, but bad for liquidity planning. Correct. So, because if you take money out um, before you're 59 and a half, um, not only, well, whenever you take money out at any age, age you got to pay taxes on it. Yeah. Assuming you contributed with pre-tax money. Okay. Right. Oh, you have to talk to me about that. Okay. But anyways, but... Uh, but in addition, if you're under 59 and a half, with, few ex- with a few exceptions, if you take money out, you have to pay an additional penalty, right? Correct. So um, all retirement accounts uh, that are funded with pre-tax dollars, so your 401k contribution, for example, or a 403b contribution, even in a deductible IRA contribution, um, anything funded with pre-tax dollars, if you took it out prior to age 59 and a half, with very few exceptions, and those only exist on the IRA side, um, you'd be subject to a 10% penalty, right? Um, on top of that, you're going to be paying income tax if you mm-hmm. don't put that money back within 60 days. So mm-hmm. you have these prohibitive restrictions for accessing that money prior to retirement. Um, and you, in the in the company-sponsored retirement plan world, 401k and 403b, for example, um, you don't have as much access to the dollars as you would in the IRA, mm-hmm. right? So the, the company's plan would, would provide a set of provisions that says, these are your, your terms for distributions from your account while you're working. Um, uh, and you, you only have access to the money in the account if you follow one of those provisions. Mm-hmm. One of them might be a loan provision or a hardship provision. So you might be able to borrow. Correct. Uh, some 401ks, not all. Um, and then you don't have to pay any penalties or tax. Correct. Right. You borrow money out of your account, you pay it back with an interest rate on top of it, which is somewhere around the prime rate plus mm-hmm. a percent or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and that allows you to access money inside of a 401k and pay it back, but your company needs to have that provision in the plan to allow for that type mm-hmm. of access. Everything else would be subject to a 
to uh, um, income taxes and a 10% penalty if you were to if you weren't 59 and a half years old. So, th- so this may be an argument for doing most of your savings within the retirement plan, but trying to do some outside Correct. so you have some an emergency fund, really. Yeah, and I think in the end, um, I think having different, different types of money that's taxed differently when you get to retirement will give you some advantages and flexibility that, that others might not have if they pile it in, into the 401k only. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, for example, if you want, want to stay within a certain, certain income tax, you know, schedule without bumping up into the next bracket, mm-hmm. you might choose to take some out of your non-retirement account or a Roth account that's not subject to taxes, and we'll, we can talk about that later, mm-hmm. um, to keep your tax situation a little bit more controllable. Um, and uh, non-retirement accounts, uh, trust accounts, individual accounts, uh, joint accounts, they're not subject to penalties mm-hmm. prior to age 59 right. and a it's half. Right, it's your money, you do what you want with it. It's your money, you do what, what you want with it. If you liquidated an investment position, um, you may have a capital gains tax to pay, yep. um, but it's uh, that's the only implication that you would be uh, considerate of. So, so you have some money in the 401k and you have uh, some non, so what they call non-qualified money right. that you uh, can can do do what you want with. And hopefully you're saving your 15%, but right. uh, that, <laughs> or b- more b- between the two, right? Which would be great if, pe- if people can can do that. And so, how do you invest the money? How do you? I mean, I, I know that people, if it's long term, people say put more in the stock market. And mm-hmm. um, what's uh, what should people be thinking about? Um, generally speaking, um, in the uh, where, however you invest it. Um, uh, you want to be using low-cost, diversified options, right? Uh, and those options can be divided into this uh, in two forms, prim- uh, generally. Stocks, mm-hmm. right? Equity funds or stocks. And then bonds, fixed income funds or individual bonds. Um, 401k plans like yours, um, uh, the employer uh, with some assistance sets a, a menu of funds from which the participants in the plan can choose from. So you have less control of what you'd be able to invest in in those plans, but hopefully the employer is getting good advice and they have a very cost-effective menu. Um, I have a strong preference for using index funds, mm-hmm. as I know uh, you may as well, yep. um, because the cost structure is very low. And um, at the end of the day, you want as much money working for you and not going to pay fees as possible, right? Mm-hmm. So um, in the 401k space, for example, you'll use the company's menu of funds to choose from. And uh, if you're more than 10 or 15 years from retirement, um, the vast majority of that account should be invested in, in stocks because mm-hmm. stocks will grow more than at bonds. They, at least they have historically. Historically they have, and we can't predict the future, right? right. Um, but they're likely headwinds ahead uh, <laughs> for both bonds and stocks. So, uh-huh. um, but long-term, um, the, the, the bet should be placed on the, on the stock side mm-hmm. if you have time. And this is really just a conversation about time uh, yeah. when you'll need the money and invest uh, invest your money in accordance with that that time mm-hmm. horizon so i generally use a 10-year 15-year time horizon um, if you're using me for example mm-hmm. i will have my 401k account invested in 100 percent stocks 100 percent right? wow 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, i know that that's going to be subject to volatility up mm-hmm. and down mm-hmm. i know that some years will be very bad yeah but on average um, it'll be a better arrangement than if i incorporated bonds mm-hmm. into that, that, that picture, um, versus my non-retirement account. So if we're mm-hmm. talking about that 15% slice, just to yep. bring it back to the, 
the savings rate. Yeah. And I'm putting 5%, for example, into an individual account or a joint account or a trust account. I might align that to be a more conservative account mm -hmm. um, because I might need some of that money soon, you mm -hmm. know, whether it be for college or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, I might want to access that account. So with my time horizon being a little bit shorter on the non-retirement account, um, it may be a 50% stock or a 50% bond, uh, you know, allocation. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's okay to think of the, the takeaway here on the investment side is it's okay to think about your accounts in, uh, in terms of what their purpose is and when you can access the money yep. and invest them differently, mm -hmm. right? Right. So, so, um, so if you have 100% um, in, in stock in your retirement account, um, I guess my question is, um, well, that's what you do. What do most people do? Um, most people um, uh, take a hands-off approach to their, their company retirement uh, plans. Yeah. You know, 401ks, well, the vast majority of Americans have their, the, the, their largest investable asset is a 401k mm -hmm. account. Um, and in those plans over the last 15, uh, 20 years, um, with the advent of what are called target date retirement funds. I was going to ask funds, you about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, they, most people are invested in a uh, target date retirement fund. Um, it's certainly true for our book of business. Uh, I would say something like 65% of all of our participants in all the plans we manage use a target date retirement mm -hmm. fund, which is a, a type of investment vehicle that allows you to put your money in a fund with a date on it. That date is matched up with your expected age 65. And over time, it becomes more conservative. And that whole process is managed by the investment company sponsoring mm -hmm. the fund. Um, and, uh, uh, most participants don't take an active role with their mm -hmm. accounts. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, as a yeah. trustee and, yeah. uh, and that's true, of course, on my side, which is probably a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. And the, the, um, and with target dates being the default investment. So if you're automatically enrolled in your 401k plan, let's say at 5%, um, and you never picked an investment allocation, well, you're automatically going to be in that age appropriate target date fund, mm -hmm. which means that the allocation, which is determined by the investment company, Vanguard or Fidelity or whoever it is, um, will be age appropriate. And certainly that'll be more stocks, um, as you're, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from retirement, really anything beyond 20 years, most of those funds are invested in 90 plus percent stock. Mm -hmm. And as you get into within 20 years from retirement age, they'll start to become more conservative at that point. Let me ask a question about yeah. that, because even if you're getting closer to retirement, you're not withdrawing everything upon retirement. That's a great question. So, yeah. so, so if you're going to retire or start withdrawing at 70, because you have to start withdrawing right. the first year after 70 and a half, and uh, you may live another 20 years. So why aren't you still in a 20-year right. picture at that point? Well, you are in some cases. So um, philosophically, the money managers behind the target date funds, if we're using them as an example, manage those funds in two different ways. Um, some target date retirement funds are managed based on your life expectancy. So mm -hmm. they call those through retirement uh, uh -huh. date funds. And some money managers manage it to your expected retirement date, which they use as age 65. Mm -hmm. And even though the name on the fund might be the 2040 fund in both examples, the underlying investment allocation is very different. So, right? how, so how do you know? So you as know, a <laughs> so as a consumer, you don't, you wouldn't know unless you applied a bunch of research to it. Um, but as a trustee and in my role with your mm -hmm. company, for example, um, we look at that and we tend to favor because we believe that, you know, your life doesn't end when you hit age 65. You hope need not. To, right. Let's hope, uh, <laughs> knock on wood, um, that, that, uh, 
that investment strategy carries itself out through your life expectancy. So in your plan, the, the fund series that we use is Vanguard. They manage through retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't get below uh, something like a 30% stock allocation, even way out on mm-hmm. the curve. Um, and you need stock to make your account grow even in the later stages of life, right? right. So um, we think that approach is more um, appropriate mm-hmm. uh, overall. But it's not to say that there's not another company with this different set of demographics uh, amongst their employee base that would require a different strategy. So we look uh, at the various funds, match the, this, the, the fund company strategy either through retirement or to retirement to what the company's needs are or mm-hmm. the perceived needs from the, from the employer's point of view. And then um, find a cost-effective series that performs well to add to that, that menu. So um, let's talk about cost, because okay. um, uh, I know that uh, we keep reading about Vanguard and yeah. uh, um, and the idea that uh, costs are going to erode your um, portfolio over time, and because right. um, if it's you're paying one percent per year, that's forty percent right. over forty years. That's right. a, that could uh, that could definitely eat into your retirement. So how do people know what their costs are? What are the component, components of the costs? Yeah, and how can it be limited? So the components of the cost, let's start there. So the components of a cost uh, in, in a 401k plan, for example, would be um, a, a couple of different things. Number one, the cost of the product. So if you're in a Fidelity 401k plan, um, Fidelity charges fees for mm-hmm. that platform, mm-hmm. the, the product, if you will. Didn't MIT recently get in trouble for that? That is true. There are uh, one of the more prevalent uh, areas of litigation, at least in the ERISA world, is with um, large uh, sponsors of retirement plans. And the the, the crosshairs seem to be on the uh, educational world at the moment, uh, Mm -hmm. universities uh, primarily. Um, But many large companies and universities have gotten sued uh, recently for not paying t- enough attention to the, the fees that are in their retirement. And MIT funds. was with Fidelity. They were so with Fidelity. Made me think of that. Yep, they were with Fidelity. They had a Fidelity uh, product. They had the plan loaded with Fidelity funds. Um, there, there wasn't enough oversight over that product uh, and the underlying investments. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you apply even small percentages to very large dollars, you know, two, three, four billion dollars, mm-hmm. the fee differentials get very large. Mm-hmm. So that's the case in, in, in MIT's world. So, um, but the product has a cost, yeah. right? Uh, so Fidelity gets a product related cost. And then independent of that product cost, and I think it should be independent, some people combine it, but um, are the investment costs. So mm-hmm. every mutual fund has something called an expense ratio. And that's a per- percentage based number that, uh, for example, if the, per- the, the fee of a mutual fund is 1%, well, that's 1% of the balance in that mutual fund on an annualized basis, and that's divided by 365, right? And a small amount deducted of that 1% every day. Mm-hmm. So you never see it. It's yeah. baked into the performance of the fund, mm-hmm. but just know that they have costs. And generally, the, the cost of an active managed fund, uh, where there's a manager uh, buying and selling stocks, for example, it, let's call it 1%. Mm-hmm. Whereas the cost for an index fund, like the S&P 500 index fund, um, is 0.05% or mm-hmm. 0.04% or something That's very almost low. almost a 1% difference. Yeah. So it's 1 20th of the price in that example uh, yeah. to buy one fund versus another. Right. And th- and that's, uh, that's, that means the reciprocal, 19 20ths, um, 
had you picked the index fund, would be going back to your account, mm -hmm. right? Would not be deducted for your account right. in, in terms of fees. So this is why you and I agree uh, yeah. that keeping costs low on, on the investment side, especially over long periods of time. Right. Because in one year, it's not going to make a no, big difference. And, but. And, and that's not an indicator that the active manager won't out outperform the index fund manager to begin with, mm -hmm. right? And that right. could occur in, in many right. years. But over time, it's unlikely in an unlikely event. Mm -hmm. um, some managers can do it uh, or have proven to do it on a consistent basis in the past. Very few. Mm -hmm. um, and looking forward, all bets are off. No one can predict the future. So, so the fact that a manager was successful the last 10 years... <clears throat> Is, is not predictive of how that manager is going to do the next 10 years? It's a nice to know item and it's yeah. a good, um, it's a good uh, way to validate the selection of that manager mm -hmm. on a looking forward basis, but it's future results. You see the disclosures right. everywhere are not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. So when things aren't guaranteed, take the known, right? Yeah. Take the known one costs a lot more than the other. Well, why not take the lower cost mm -hmm. option? So, um, so the second bucket of costs would be mutual funds, right? In that yep. way we just described. Um, the third uh, cost item uh, could be um, a, uh, an outside administrator. So some plans have the fidelity of the Vanguard or Empower do the, um, the kind of the compliance work, the, what's called administration, on top of the record keeping, the actual account access and housing the mutual funds and investment uh, vehicles inside the plan. Mm -hmm. Um, or in some outsource that compliance piece to a third party mm -hmm. that's called a TPA and the TPA has costs, right? So that yep. could be a third element. In most cases, the TPA is paid directly by the employer. Mm -hmm. So it's an invoiced, invoiced item and not okay. coming from the plan assets. Okay. So that's not going to affect the employee. It, it may or may not. Yep. I mean, we, we, uh, by way of example, we were at a, a plan in South, South Boston recently, um, and a $7 million plan. There's about a hundred people. Um, participating in it, and the TPA was getting a 0.05% of the assets in that plan per mm -hmm. year mm -hmm. as what's called a revenue sharing payment, which is a nice kicker on top yeah. of their normal invoice fees, right? Mm. Which were another you know few uh -huh. grand on top of that. Uh -huh. So in, in most cases, it's very transparent. In some cases, it's not. So going back to the first fee, <clears throat> and that's the plan fee, yep. what, what is that generally? That is for record keeping, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the product. Yeah. Uh, that's the fidelity product that you log into your account and yeah. you can trade your account and change your contribution percentages. That whole, um, um, that whole, uh, task is called record keeping. Yeah. Right. And, but how, but how much is that? Oh, it's so. going to, it's going to vary. Um, we are trying to get to a place, I think in the retirement plan industry where, um, the cost that's really a transactional, you know, um, Cost. It's not. It's not. It shouldn't be based on a percentage of assets. They're not managing any money. Right. Um, they don't need to take part in the growth of the plan. But too often, it's a percentage of assets. So historically, it was almost entirely percentage of assets. What, what, uh, what percentage? If small, it depends on the size of the, size of the plan. Yeah. Um, if you had a, a hundred person plan with a million million dollars in it, so um, that that plan might cost, I don't know, 1% uh, per year to record keep it. Mm -hmm. Or some vendors, like your vendor, will say, no, we're just gonna invoice you and we're gonna charge you uh, you know, $50 per head, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so it's a flat fee, you know exactly what it is. So mm -hmm. it can happen in both ways or mm -hmm. a combination of both. Yeah. Um, or or even, even worse, in my opinion, the record keeping cost uh, can come from the mutual funds. So sometimes the mutual funds are there's different flavors of mutual funds. You could have, uh, you know, the Fidelity Contra Fund, and there could be six different versions of that mm -hmm. one fund. And the, the versions vary by the cost structure mm. 
of, of, of the mutual fund. Um, the more expensive funds can go can also take money out of that higher expense cost and push it to the record keeper to pay for some of their services. Mm-hmm. So identifying what exa- exactly is going on inside the plan is important. But you, but you could have 1% for that plus 1% yes. for the mutual fund. Yes. So you could have a, an annual cost of 2%. Yes, and that could be going to pay. But that's on the higher end. That's on the higher end. Yeah. yeah but it's not... You know, it's not abnormal. Uh-huh. Um, I uh, as, as much as we talk about fee compression and things being coming less expensive and the, you know, vanguards of the world and, and other entities driving costs down, yeah. um, you'd be surprised how many plans are out there, particularly mm-hmm. with the smaller employers, say 100 employees or less, yeah. that still have fees in the 2% range really? all in. And worse, they're coming from employee accounts. Mm-hmm. The employer has a, uh, a fiduciary, fiduciary obligation to oversee the, the cost structure of the plan. And many employers, and like you're a great example, um, uh, will bear some of those costs via invoice. So they're mm-hmm. not coming from plan assets, meaning right. the participants aren't paying those. Uh, but many don't. They just pass all the costs to the, to the participants. So um, there's so many variations of how this may play out. Um, the important thing to know is that there are a bunch of different costs. One, one is record keeping. Yeah. One is investments. One could be uh, compliance services. Yeah. And a fourth could be advisory services. So some right. plans want to get help with this. As yeah. you can tell from this conversation, right. it can be a very confusing right. thing. And we're, we're paying you for that. <clears throat> Correct. And, Correct. Yep. And so that could, could that be on top of the 2%? It could be. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And how much are those fees usually? It depends on the services being provided uh, and um, the size of the plan and what the needs are of the, of the employer. Um, you know, on a, I'll say on a, a million dollar plan uh, as, a, as a benchmark here with 40 employees, I say the average fee is somewhere between three and four thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. and whether that's invoiced to the company, uh, which mm-hmm. is which um, advisors that act as a fiduciary can do, they yeah. can send an invoice, mm-hmm. or whether it's deducted as a percentage of the plan assets, so that would be 0.4 percent on a million, for mm-hmm. example, um, is is worked out between the employer and, and the advisor. Yeah, um, but it can be handled both ways. Uh-huh. And in 2019, soon to be 2020. Um, one thing that has improved is the flexibility on how um, the various parties involved with a 401k, the cost of operating a 401k plan, and, and for example, uh, can, can get paid, right? Yeah. A lot of those costs, the only cost that can't be stripped from the plan is the cost of the mutual funds, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. has to be paid for inside the mutual fund. Right. But everything else can be stripped out and paid for by the employer. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to the Ask Harry podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have questions about estate planning, you can find answers at askharry.info. And if you don't find your answer there, you can post a question and I will respond to it. You can also subscribe and listen to future episodes on iTunes. If you're interested in Harry's book, Get Your Ducks in a Row, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Estate Planning, please visit margolis.com. That's M-A-R-G-O-L-I-S dot com. Ask Harry is a production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.